what is it like to try and um, pull the putter back with tens of thousands of people watching you? It was horrible. It was horrific. <laughs> <laughs> Put another log on the fire Nobody here is getting tired Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck back for another Fire Drill podcast. We have Matt Janella on the line from Ireland, Michael Bamberger from Philadelphia. I'm here in California. We will all be rendezvousing in St. Andrews soon, but... Um, today we want to talk about the JP McManus Pro-Am. Uh, Matt was let behind the velvet rope and got to experience it as a competitor, as an observer. And we'll go deep on that. The larger meaning of golf in Ireland, the ongoing live uh, undercurrents, because a lot of those guys played in Ireland. But before we get to all that good stuff, let's just do a quick shout out to our corporate sponsors who help us keep this the lights on here at the Fire Pit Collective. Thank you to uh, PowerPoints, our favorite golf scoring app. I think you guys have heard of us talk about it before. It's a very ingenious way to play the game. If you're looking to spice things up with a, your usual foursome, or if you have kids or beginners or uh, it works for all levels, but it's definitely a fun way to, to introduce the the sport to people who may be intimidated by the, uh, the idea of making triple bogey. I still make triple bogeys anyway. Um, so thanks to par points for all that they do. Let's just jump in here and, I think that the average golf fan knows this is a really cool event, but maybe doesn't know who JP is or why every great player on planet Earth decided to show up in his honor. Can t just tell us a little backstory on, on this very unique uh, gathering. Boy, well, JP McManus, prominent Irish businessman, uh, you know, well connected, uh, came from Limerick, Ireland, right outside the gates of the Adair Manor. Uh, he went on to buy the Adair Manor several years ago, has poured a lot of money into it to refurbish it, brought Tom Fazio in to redo the golf course. Uh, it will host the 2027 Ryder Cup. That was kind of a, a dream come true for not only Ireland in general, but also um, for JP himself. I once asked JP, could you have ever imagined, uh, you know, owning Adair Manor? And, and he stopped and said, Matt, you know, as a little kid growing up in Limerick, I could have never imagined even getting inside the gates of Adair Manor. You know, <laughs> he came literally from nothing. He started uh, as a young kid, you know, running bets uh, for a bookie and has done some booking himself. He's an incredible backgammon. He's famously, you know, probably one of the best backgammon players uh, in the world. He's, he's won millions and millions of dollars uh, uh, off backgammon games. He owns, you know, very successful horses. The, the horse racing uh, in Ireland essentially, you know, goes through J.P. McManus. And um, fr friends and partners with Dermot Desmond, a lot of big business deals. Owns Sandy Lane, where Tiger got married. Um, the relationship with Tiger goes back to the late 90s with Payne Stewart and Mark O'Mara and the fishing trips that they used to take uh, prior to <clears throat> the Open Championship. Uh, JP has cultivated a lot of relationships over the years with a lot of prominent players uh, in a lot of different ways, you know, connecting with players you know, at Dunhill uh, Links, at AT&T Pro-Ams, just, you know, he's he's a self-made billionaire, self-made billionaire who has this amazing philanthropic heart and also this incredible humility. And I think a lot of those guys are drawn to that level of humility. And um, and when they make a commitment to him, they keep it. I mean, there's, there's a, a lot of rich dudes who love golf, but they're not going to get Tiger Woods to fly across the ocean to play in their event. I mean, I'm trying to puzzle out, like, what makes this guy so... Uh, wired into the golf world that every top player wanted to come in and pay homage and donate their time for, for, for his charity causes. Like what, what is the secret sauce there? Well, I think there's probably goes both ways. I think there's a lot of contributions he's made to their charities over the years, or a lot of contributions to the greater good of their life, whether that is, you know, allowing them to come and get, have a private wedding at one of his properties. Um, 
And I, I, there's a mystique about JP um, <clears throat> that a lot of people are drawn to. And, you know, I said, I've, I asked a lot of people, what is it about JP? What, why, why, why are you here? Why, you know, this has been a three year kind of stop start because of COVID uh, that, you know, a lot of people have had their tickets, their hats, which w were their tickets for, for over three years. And, <clears throat> I think it's not only his philanthropic efforts, but it, it, the, the word that just kept, kept coming up was humility, his humble nature, his the way he goes about his business. And he spares no space. He takes incredibly great care of not only the players, but their wives, their caddies. He goes above and beyond. He is he he showers people with with out of the good stuff that to the point where you're like, I can't, is this really happening? I mean, it was such a fantasy land for the last five days at a dare manor with that backdrop and that golf course and 40,000 people and that field. It was, I mean, you know, we, we get to be a part of a lot of special things and a lot of special, you know, access. This to me is, is like using the horse racing analogy. This is my, this is my secretariat. And, and in second place is way, way back there. <laughs> Can I offer just one insight? To, Matt, that was extremely well said. And being a little bit on the periphery of these guys, I would just only add to that, and this is true in all of the human condition, there's a chemical element to life that you can't figure out. And the, the qualities that you're talking about, Matt, Jimmy Dunn has it. Um, Eddie Lowry had it. Johnny Morris. Uh, I think of Johnny yes. Morris. Yes, uh, I don't know Johnny Morris, but uh, and I didn't know Eddie Lowry, uh, but I do know Jimmy Dunn. And uh, there are qualities, uh, the man named Sam Reeves, uh, lesser known, but some of us know him, uh, has it. Uh, Arnold had it. Arnold had it in spades. And there's magic in the human condition that you, it's, Alan, you asked a really fine question, but the greatness of the answer is that there is no answer. There's just a chemical magic sometimes that makes uh, something work. And you can have the money, but it's not enough. Mike, Mike Kaiser has it. Bill Core has it. Ben Crenshaw has it. You know, Johnny Morris, by the way, is the guy who started Bass Pro Shops out of, you know, his father's liquor store. Again, very similar. Self-made billionaire who then goes overboard with philanthropic contributions that that make, I think, make them stay uh, close to where they're from, who they are, and and makes them feel good about a greater impact on the world they live in. Right. And uh, right, Matt, and I would add to that, uh, and you, you mentioned the name earlier, if you're totally flying solo, like a Howard Hughes, um, you don't have it. And if you have a wingman, like Dermot Desmond is uh, to McManus, then you then you do have it, and of course, part of Arnold's great appeal uh, was that he had wingmen, and and part of almost really the the loneliness of looking at Tiger's life is that he he hasn't had that. It's yeah, it's well said, and 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 Tiger was there, and Tiger took to the mic uh, last night uh, in this gala ballroom filled with two thousand people, and again, you know, JP has raised one hundred and forty million dollars for charity, and that was before through this pro am, but that was before this year's pro am. So, whatever the final tally is, is 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 going to be north of one hundred and forty million. And and although Tiger <clears throat> rode around in a cart and and didn't look good, and and uh, and you know, quite frankly, you know everything that we were hearing is he's, he's not feeling good. It's not going well. His body beyond his leg is just not working right now and may never uh, work again in a way that uh, allows him to be truly competitive at the level that, that he wishes he could be. Uh, but he said at the mic, he said, if you, you know, the next pro-am you have, I'll be here. Yeah. Everyone you have, uh, I'll be here and you can count on that. That's incredible. I mean, given that Tiger may only play two or three times a year for the rest of his life in a competitive scenario to, to pledge that over, you know, the P the, the PGA championship or the, the U S open. I mean, it's remarkable. Um, all right. So Matt, you know, you, as you said, you've done some really cool things in golf. Um, but this was a whole different magnitude. What is it like to try and, um, pull the putter back with tens of thousands of people watching you? 
It was horrible. It was horrific. <laughs> it was, um, it was, I, I striding to the first tee. I mean, honestly, guys, I just said I did a <clears throat> radio show in San Diego, the Ben and Woods, who you've been on, Alan, um, and, and Ben Higgins asked, like, what was it like, you know, t getting on that first team, playing in front of 40,000 people? I said, it was like, you know, if we were, you know, how many times have we huddled around the first tee of the Masters, right? We're there, we're watching those first tee shots surrounded by all those people. It would be like the starter saying, hey, Alan, uh, you got your clubs on you? Go grab your clubs. You're going to play the Masters today. You're going to you're going to be a mark. It would be like, you know, being a marker at the Masters <laughs> as an eight or nine handy. I mean, it's like we you know we have really no business being out there i mean we you know my first thought is like i really don't want to hurt anybody i mean <laughs> they, you know that that would be terrible <clears throat> and i tried to put the tea in the ground and my hand was shaking so badly it took me an odd amount of time just to try to get the ball on the tee <laughs> and so many things are racing through your mind i mean you you don't want to kill anybody you don't want to make a fool of yourself it, you know, it, it really shrinks, you know, and, and you, you know, I'm shoulder to shoulder with guys like Graham McDowell or Dustin Johnson. People are yelling for their autographs and pictures and it, the intensity, the energy is palpable. It was, uh, you know, I hit just enough good shots and contributed just enough to feel like, OK, I, I'm you know, I eventually drank enough Guinness where it kind of calmed my nerves because I was trying everything. It was, it was, it, it's, 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 uh, it's fun. It's, it's fantastic, but it is daunting and, and humiliating. Who was in your group, Matt? Uh, Greg McLaughlin, uh, who, uh, actually obviously worked with Tiger Woods, uh, the foundation for a long time. And then, uh, now works for the works and manages the first, you know, oversees the first tee in the world golf hall of fame. Um, he ran the champions tour, uh, for many years. And, uh, and we, first day was Graham McDowell. Second day was Dustin Johnson. And then, uh, uh Keith Sabarbaro, Sabarbaro, who, uh, runs TaylorMade's equipment, um, played ASU, uh, with Phil Mickelson has a longstanding relationship with Phil. Very good player. Like, you know, an elite level uh, ball striker at, 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 in every aspect of his game. So we had a zero. I played as a five because they took 70% of your handicap because it was a shamble. So you could use the best drive and then you all played in from there and it was a one ball out of the foursome. So Keith, Greg is about a, uh, I think he got 11 shots. I got five shots. Keith got zero. And then we had Graham day one who shot one under and DJ day two who shot two under. <clears throat> That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, Keith Barbaro, you know, he, he, he's a character in, in my Phil Mickelson book because they grew up playing together and they were both taught by Dean Reinmuth. And Dean told me that, that Keith was so freakishly long as an, as a young teenager. Um, and that really trying to keep up with him defined Phil's approach to the game. Like he's been chasing distance since he was like 13 years old because of Keith Barbaro, because he was, he was 30 yards behind him. And so it's just a, it's a funny, uh, it's funny that you guys cross paths. And I, I approached Keith about an interview for the book. He's so discreet. Like he's one of the most discreet guys in golf. And he said, I'd love to, but I can't basically. And, um, so it, it's cool that you got to see his game up close. Cause I've been hearing about it for a long time. Well, Keith that is really, re yeah, sorry. Keith is really close with these players, right? He's really, he's in and, and, it, and he explained to me that it's just, it's just not of it in his best interest in any way, shape or form to have any kind of conversation about the, the players he knows or the relationships he's built or the, you know, it just, yeah. it just doesn't work for him. And, 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 uh, and and that's that's his you know that's the way he he goes about his business and that's why he's probably had a long-standing career and why he has the reputation he has but i one little anecdote about his length because you know i'm not long but i'm not short i'm somewhat you know i i when i when i when i connect with one it goes a fair you know a good, a good enough distance from where we play right the tees we play and keith would hit it 70 or 80 yards by me <laughs> and and so I was like, you know, marveling. I mean, he's, he's got an action that is just outrageous. And um, I said to him, you should be playing inside the ropes way more often than these, these uh, occasional programs. 
we're on the driving range the second day before uh, um, we played with DJ and Ross Desmond, uh, Dermot's son, is hitting balls between me and Keith, and I'm you know I'm marveling at Keith. We're all watching Keith, and I go, man, I can't believe how far he hits it. And Ross goes, yeah, I used to know him when he actually hit it far. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> because yeah, he's old Ross now. Is mine, yeah. yeah, he's old. He's older now, and he's and and he doesn't like. He would have been 120 yards by me. I mean, this guy is, as you say, freakishly long and a very good player. It was fun to watch him play golf. That's cool. My, my, uh, we probably all have this experience with Keith. And so, like, Keith, can we talk about the technical aspect of uh, of Tiger's clubs, specs, and all? He says, "Yeah, it's great. If it's cool, with, if it's cool, with Tiger, it's great." Well, it's never cool, Tiger. So the answer is no. Exactly. <laughs> uh, now, what, what did uh, DJ have any insight into your uh, golf game or your position at the top? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, they they all gave me a hard time, um, and and uh, and that's part of that's part of the fun, right? Is that uh, is that they kind of make fun of you, um, and my, my I have a, a a real I fight, you know, a fast sort of downswing i fire early i don't let it drop in it's thing it just it's i think about it but i can't do it and in that circumstance under this kind of pressure it really is hard to relax and let it fall in i mean <laughs> yeah. and so and i had i want and because of those green surrounds there's you know in in a, if i could i'd putt it or i'd hit a little punch six iron and i'd play it like i play piners number two or play Lynx golf at bandon and and, and etc and um, but there's occasions where you got to go up. You got to try to hit the flop shot. And on the ninth hole yesterday, playing with DJ, and I got a shot, and I'm trying to hit a flop shot up and over. And I kind of pulled my 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 approach shot, I my mean, second shot on a par five, into the crowd. So I'm over there, and the crowd is all surrounding me, and they're all giving me a hard time. And I'm drinking a Guinness to, to again try to calm my nerves. And I got to go up and over, and the the grass is already trampled down, so the ball ball's sitting, you know. It's a, it's a very very messy situation, and behind me is the backdrop of the Adair Manor, and I got to go over, up over this bunker, and I fire this, I I, I unleash holy hell on this downswing, <laughs> and I catch it thin, and it went like two hundred yards. I mean, it was like four. It was it was like yelling four was unnecessary because it was going so far <laughs> out out of the realm of possibility. And DJ like started cracking up. He's like, I, you had a 200 miles per hour swing speed on that downswing. Like I have never seen anybody attack a golf ball in the history of my life like that. He's still talking about, I guarantee. I mean, it was, it was so bad. And then the people all laugh and I'm like, well, there you go. That's best iron I've hit all day. And, and the, and the, the Irish lady says, you know, as I pick up my Guinness, she goes, I have one thought for you. You might want to get off the drink. <laughs> And I was like, actually, that's the only chance I have. That's, um, I mean, that's nightmare fuel, that whole scenario. <laughs> God, it was crazy. It was, I, I'm having, I'll have nightmares seriously for days uh, to come. No. Um, so, you know, you're sort of traveling on two passports because you're treated as an equal. You have access to the bars, the lounges, the driving range, the putting green, but you're still kind of an observer and a reporter at heart. So we, I know you have to be discreet because a lot of these things were told to you and sort of semi-confidence, but what, what was it like to be, have that intimacy with all these great players? And probably people saw on social media, that picture of you uh, and Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler, just hanging out, having, having a pint, like, um, you're a fan, you're a reporter, you're a competitor, like you're wearing different hats. So just what did it feel like to be in that arena? It's all of it's it's uh, well articulated in that that's that's what's happening at all times. You know, you walk down the hallway, you bump into somebody, you take an elevator. You're, you know, I, I had a you know, elevator with Jay Monahan, a, a, a crossing paths with Rory McIlroy or just, just you go to a bar and and there they all are. You know, Jordan, Justin and Ricky with their wives and they're they're having fun. They're in Ireland. They're doing you know, we're all watching the hurling semifinals and we end up at the bar and I'm, you know, and. And having conversation with Kucher and, and Lee Westwood and I are 49er fans go way back, you know, and it's just and Keith Pelly and dinner with Jay Monahan and watching Brooks come over and talk to Jay Monahan's first time they've talked since Brooks's wedding and having casual conversation. It was this. I think there was a lot of uh, 
I, I think I talked to JP afterwards and I said, JP, um, are you, are you able to take a moment and, and be appreciated and, and, and enjoy what's just happened here that, that you brought all this to Ireland. You brought this together. You brought this field together. This actually happened after three years of stop start. And, and he said, Oh, Matt, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just happy. There's been no incidents and that the gloves stayed on that, that the gloves never came off because I think there was a general sense of that with how personal things have gotten, you know, in this situation with live and so many things have been said back and forth that, that something might happen. There might actually be an incident in which someone would, you know, confront somebody. And that didn't happen as far as I know. I didn't, I'm, I'm not aware of that, whether that happened, you know, through text message or DM or, or, or where a situation where I wasn't aware of possible, but I think everybody sort of tried to kind of remember why they were there who their host was in reference in reverence and, and respect for JP to just make it about the golf and the giving back. And, and, and it seemed to work. You know, I think Ireland is also a disarming place. People feel comfortable and, and more at ease with who they are. Uh, hope, you know, there's a chance there was some productive conversations, you know, had amongst, you know, I know Patty Harrington, Shane Lowry, was congratulating certain guys for their situations. You know, again, Paul Casey uh, signed at, while we were there with Liv and I walked up to him and, and, uh, and he was, you know, Paul Casey goes, Hey, hold on. I'm about to turn 45. Uh, I've got a bad back. I don't have a lot, a lot left. You know, I got five years until the champions tour. I, 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 I try to make a living playing the game of golf. And, you know, he summarized it just like that, you know, and then he hit his tee shot and he walked off and it was like, it's really hard to argue with. It's really hard to argue with um, in, in, the, in their situation. I think Graham uh, feels the same way. Uh, you know, you know, the, these guys, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood, like these guys are are they're in that tweener phase of their career uh, in which, again, they've woken up every day since how young they were tried to get really good at golf and earn a paycheck so that they can keep playing the game that they love. And, you know, Graham McDowell said, you know, I might lose my card. And is the PJ tour going to come and say, Hey, I'm sorry, Graham, but you know, let us, let us give you more money. You know, you're not playing anymore. You're not, you're not, you're not competitive at this level anymore, but we want to help you out. We want to give you a retirement, you know, or some form of, you know, a way to make a living. What's he going to do? Matt, what was your what was your reading on uh, on Monahan just physically and how did he seem and do you feel like uh, he's he's ready for what he's facing here? Well, I think he's really overwhelmed. I think he's he's I think he's doing what he can in his mind to try to sort this out. Um, I I. I I, this is complex on so many levels, as we as we all know. I I will say, Michael, and and I and I and again, I, I I've got to be honest here that for me, and I've said this in a previous podcast, for me it was so cut and dry that this was simple, right? Saudi Arabia, out. I, I can't be a part of anything. You know, I had friend lost friends in nine eleven. It just that that I was in New York. It's it's a non-starter for me. Out. I understand sports washing. I, I understand. I, I see all of that. Uh, I'm really not a fan of Greg Norman. I don't like what he represents and how he's conducted his. I just not a Norman guy at all. But over time now and having had these conversations, we obviously have bumped up against sort of the confines of what is the PGA tour and the structure that they have and the control they have over, you know, the, uh, the marketing of their product and storytelling around their product and the language around their product. And, you know, and so I've got problems with PGA tour and I got, you know, and so now it's like, I find myself in this position of listening to both sides. I'm doing a lot. I did a lot of listening these last few days asking a couple questions and did a lot of listening and people are very uh, open and willing to have conversations about it. And I think they know who I am. They know 
who we are, the Fire Pit Collective. They know our relationships that that I have with uh, people like yourselves and Ryan and and Jeff Ogilvie, etc. Mac Barnhart, for that matter. And um, I, I just I see Jay. I, I see Keith trying to do the best he can for his tour. I I see players trying to do the best they can for themselves and their families. I see these individual situations. You listen to them. And you can't help but, uh, you know, again, kind of throwing the Saudi Arabia stuff out because. And I think now for me, you know, here we got we we're, we're dependent on Saudi Arabia. We had a president flying over to try to you know work out a relationship, a, a new relationship with Saudi Arabia. There is. I just listened to the Golfers Journal podcast, which Thomas Friedman said the politics has no place kind of in this game. You know, there's. Part of me is like, you know what? Uh, and 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 look look at the look at the tour players, right? Look at look at the tour players have one option that, to test the market. It's themselves. It's their ability to play good golf. Yes, they can do endorsement deals, and some guys make good money in endorsement deals, but it's very few, right? There's very few guys who actually get a good living through endorsement deals. Um, so if you're if you're a top 50 player, what are your options of trying to test the market of what your value is? You know, I saw the difference between Graham McDowell and Dustin Johnson. Graham McDowell's a star. Dustin Johnson is a superstar. Is Dustin Johnson making the most money he can possibly make by playing uh, the PGA Tour? Why wouldn't there be like if you're a soccer player, you can go from league to league. You can test your market. In the NBA, you can go from team to team and test your market. NFL, baseball, whatever. Like free agency, you have a players union, you have protection, you have like what what does a PGA, what does a professional golfer have to try to test his 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 place in the marketplace? Yeah, well that, I mean that's that's what Liv has done is has created a market and um it's you know, I've, it's interesting that this this fell right after the Portland event, where I, I which I covered, and I was in London, obviously. So, I, not many folks have been to both uh, tournaments so far. Um, and you and Phil, <laughs> me and Phil, yeah, and a handful of others, uh, <laughs> and pour out some almond milk for Bob Herrick too. But um, yeah, it's the timing. Of this was amazing. Um, and oh, by the way, I mean, I heard some things. That there was a there was a plane that the Live Tour supplied to get the guys from Portland to the JP McManus pro-am. What, what did you hear about that plane ride, Matt? It was a flying nightclub quote flying nightclub. It was like new year's Eve. It was like a 10 hour flight. And after it landed, people wanted them to take off again and keep going. <laughs> it was, it was, there, there was, it was an absolute party. Like uh, the plane was so spectacular you know, room for 80 and there was only 40 on the plane. It was like a big giant private jet and, and Saudi Arabia paid for that to get those players back to, to, to the JP pro-am to which JP told DJ to thank them. Thank, thanks. Thanks for getting those guys back there. That was a big chunk of his field that made a difference to, to the crowd, the 40,000 people that were assembled there that those last, it was probably helpful to, and bring everyone together like this in, in a semi low key setting ahead of the open. Cause they were all going to mix on the driving range at, at St. Andrews. But this seems like it was, it was a good reentry into uh, bringing the Hatfields and the McCoys together. And I mean, I, I said this on Twitter. What's interesting is for the guys who have gone over to live, it's just business and the, 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 the tour loyalists, it's very personal. And there's, there's a, there's a difference in the rhetoric and the tone Um you know, I don't know if you saw Billy Horschel's comments of like, you know, he went off like I, I find the whole as it's evolved and every week it, it kind of the, the story changes. Now you have, you know, Poulter and those other guys have, have won this court injunction. They're playing in the Scottish and there's been some pushback against that. Like it's wild how this this story develops week by week. But um, I, I do think that. When someone writes a story about all this, he might be on this podcast. Um, this McManus pro am is, is going to be is, is going to be pretty juicy because it was really it was kind of a little too soon to bring everyone together, but it just had to be, and it was still raw, and it was still flying around, you know, things flying around. Like, I don't know. I, I think it's just it's a, it's a neat chapter in, in in a book about 
uh, all all the uh, all the interpersonal dynamics here because it is just business, but people are taking it very personally. Like very obviously that that is the one thing that I heard from both sides. One side would say, "I wish they wouldn't talk." about us and the other side would say i wish they wouldn't talk about us like players going after other players in this situation i don't i don't think that's you know taking some of this stuff personally seems like it doesn't make much sense to me it seems like the leadership of these tours are what actually needs to needs to have conversation whether that's going to happen or that's realistic or if there's ever going to be a place where these these two things can actually coexist in some sense of harmony seems very unlikely and unrealistic but that that would make more sense than the players going back and forth you know getting judgy on each other about what they're doing and how they're doing it i think you know, I had a long conversation with Pat Perez last night. I had a good conversation with Brooks Kepka, and you know, Brooks, uh, you know, Brooks said very plainly, I, "I'm not, I'm not getting down on this back and forth. I don't care what people think or say. It's, that's just not. It just doesn't matter to me. I, I've, you know, I'm, I'm making decisions about me based on my body." Uh, on, on where I'm at with, with my health and my career, he said, you know, I, I came from nothing. Okay. When I, when my, when I signed my contract, my mom and I reflected on a time. And when I was a kid at 10 years old and they went, they, they endured a hurricane and the hurricane basically took, took their roof off their house. And when the, when another hurricane came that their roof still wasn't repaired and another hurricane like their roof still wasn't repaired. he said i grew up in a flea infested house and if someone's going to offer me 130 million dollars to do what i do and how i do it to play a little less and to be able to have kind of more flexibility he's got his majors he's got his wins he, he's proven to himself and the world that he's he's a bona fide badass at the game of golf i'm i'm, I'm taking the money and it's it's based on what I need for me in my life, in my career. Matt, quick aside, uh, is this yeah. the first time that number has been out there, 130 million? I, I, I was not aware of that. I, I was told uh, 130 million for DJ and Brooks. And you know how many years that covers? No. Yeah. So that when, when you talked very eloquently, and we all know Grant, you know, in to, to different ways, you talked about this thing from Graham McDowell's perspective, and I'm right there with you. And I'm terrible at these courtroom drama movies. You know, first the prosecutor goes, and the defense guy goes. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah, I get yeah, poor Graham, poor Graham. But and there really is a big. But the reason this thing is emotional, and the reason people are talking about it the way they are, the players and the fans and broadcasters and everybody and us and everybody in the game, is that at some point this does actually reveal your life value system. And so it would be, you could shut down Graham McDowell's whole argument by saying, Graham, you've made a fortune. Who are you kidding here? You're set for life. It doesn't matter what you do for the, for the rest of your life. And this is the tour that made you. Um, so there are two very different ways of saying it and of seeing this whole thing. And I think just from my own perspective, but if I were Graham McDowell, I'd have a totally different perspective. I try to look at the game at large and these competing tours, even for all the excellent reasons you outlined about why it makes sense and why it's, you know, an inflection point for the game. This isn't good for professional golf. I think it can be. I, I believe that if the PGA tour were to take some time and I, and I quite, quite frankly, between us, I, I said this to Jay, I said, you know, the chase. And when you up, say between us, bear in mind this is a public forum. <laughs> well, this is this is between us, and that we are sharing with the <laughs> listener. Who thanks for listening, by the way. Um, because again, I, I I think you know Jay and I were having a conversation about the state of the game, 
and he's in the position he's in and I'm in the position I'm in and we're in the position we're in. And I think we all care about the game of golf. I feel really good about the the amateur aspect and 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 the opportunities and access growth that's happening for the recreational golfer. So so remember, we are although we're talking about golf, we're talking about a very, very, very small, small percentage of people. And the big fundamental difference is this is the these are the people who get paid to play the game. We, the us and the listener, and although we have benefits and don't often pay a lot to play the game, but the difference is the people who pay to play the game is a big difference here. Okay. So let's remember that. Second of all, I, I just think that if I'm Jay Monahan, I'm focused on creating a better feeder system into what is the PGA Tour. I'm creating more opportunities and access for people at the lower levels, uh, creating a minor league system that looks more realistic and more sensible from a single A, double A, triple A ball club kind of feeder system uh, so that people can have more opportunities and access to, to make a living playing professional golf, whether that's the Latin American tour or the Corn Ferry tour or the Golden State tour or the you know Dakota's tour, whatever that is, I'm looking down there and I'm trying to cultivate a place where people can still call themselves a professional golfer and make a living without having to make it to the PGA Tour and get that pe those people in that system and build up to it. And whatever the live is, is going to be what it is. What Jay Monahan has no hope of trying to outspend them or trying to compete with them in that aspect. So why do it? Why not control what you can control? Zurich Classic to me is a great example of a, of a, a floundering event that created a different system, a team event that has now resurged the interest into that to, to that event. So why wouldn't you take that concept and say, okay, we've got something, we got some, we got some energy here, just like we would as in our company to say, oh, we've got some, we got, we got some heat here. Let's do more of this. Why wouldn't you come up with a make John Deere a team event as well? Why would you come up with a team series that lives within the, the framework of the PGA tour schedule that then says, okay, those five weeks you partner up with your team. Shipnuck and I are always playing in these events together. And, and you and French Bamberger are playing in the other, like, and there's a season long sort of sub series. Like why that is why I think there's a chance to make this good for golf, Michael, that there's more people making money playing professional golf. We'll see all at the major championships. There could eventually be a, a live tour champion versus a PGA tour champion or a Ryder cup match instead of the president's cup in which you could take the best of that tour and the best of the PGA. Tour. Like I just, I'm going to hold out hope and I am, uh, I am and, and sort of uh, inspired by the idea that there can be positive change for professional well, golf and thus golf. I mean, one general. of the big rumors floating around Portland was that next year Liv is going to have uh, a women's series, eight events for the same money, which it obviously would be monumental for the women's game, and also have mix, mixed team events. Like, there's been discussions about a mixed team event between LPGA and the PGA Tour for a decade plus. It's the most no-brainer idea in the whole world. The fact that they can't get it done is ridiculous. And it, Liv, it sounds like Liv's just going to do it next year. And that would be, you talk about a fun, dynamic format that people would love. Um, and then, so, you know, as, as you're saying but that. Why, like, hasn't the, like, why hasn't the PGA Tour done it? Like, why hasn't well, the so PGA now they will, like, right? Let, you know, now they're going to. They're, yeah, every, right. They've been talking about. Right. God, I, I remember like three commissioners ago on the, for L, the LPGA, they were talking about it. So uh, this is to your point is. Now there's urgency. Now there's pressure to to innovate and to get things done. And um, you know, even the we can all agree that the, the term shotgun is is kind of weird for a big time professional golf event. And it seems hokey because it's what we do for you know planning a charity event for the local hospital here or whatever. But I've come to actually like it having now covered these two these two live events because everything's happening all at once and it's bang bang bang. And you go to a regular tour event and guys are teeing off all day long. And it's like, you, if 
you know, if, if I'm on the West coast and I sleep in and they're playing on the East coast, I could miss my, some guys I care about. They're like almost done with the round by the time I get up and eat my cocoa puffs. Like there, there is something pleasing about all the players playing all at the same time. And, um, I don't know. I'm not suggesting the PJ tour should adopt that model, but when I think we all pushed back, Oh, shotgun starts that's so hokey. But now that I've actually seen it in action, it's kind of fun. And even this team has, um, quick technical yeah. question. Why, why couldn't they have uh, shotgun starts for the first two rounds and then have traditional starts for the last round? Uh, they certainly could. I mean, I think it's just <clears throat> part of their, part of their brand of who they are, but on um, the shotgun for the final round is based on the score. So like the leaders go off of one, you know, there's, there's still, there, there's, a, there's a sense of order um, based on scoring. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in the thing that about live is I think they're open to tweaking and innovating and, and maybe they will do that. You know, there, there's, there's, there's not much dogma over there. Like they kind of roll with it and uh, we, we may see some, some changes to that. But um, so, yeah, it's as, as you're saying, Matt, I mean, this is probably the spark that golf needed to really change some things. Now uh, we can all agree. It's probably unfortunate that where the funding is coming from, but when you set that piece aside, which is not easy to do, but when you just look at it as as competition um, and leads to innovation, I think that I think that there's definitely something going on here. And and I, I want to come back to something, Michael, you said about Graham, where he's made millions of dollars and he's got enough. And and you know, look, who are we to know or judge what's enough? For Graham McDowell, I don't know his, you know, he, he, you know, he's, he's had a divorce. He's got, you know, whatever, you know, business investment. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't feel good about being in a position to say you've got enough. You know, like, I don't I don't know. I don't know what it, I, I think that's a decision also that's just incredibly personal. Whatever is going on, you know. You know, I'm, I'm I live in a family in which a lot of us are trying to help, you know, uh, my parents like uh, I mean, it's just it's, it's very complicated. It just feels a little too intrusive for me to sort of say that you have enough. You don't need any more. You know, these are young guys. They're going to they've got kids who are going to go like, a, you know, who knows you're going. You know, I just don't I just don't know. I I, I, I this is. I look, I'll be the first to admit. And like I said earlier, you know, when it first went down and we were listening, you know, and and I think we all agreed that Mickelson had some good points early on. It felt that he was making them on behalf of himself. He was, uh, you know, it was the way he was doing it and who he was doing it with. We always obviously had problems with that right out of the gate. But the more I'm spending time listening and learning and hearing uh, both sides. I, I just, I, I'm, 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 I'm just more empathetic or, or sympathetic, or I'm just kind of in the middle now. I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving the fact that we're challenging status quo. Uh, I, I see why a guy like Pat Perez or Paul Casey or Brooks Kepka or these guys would, would do what they're doing and how they're doing it for what they're getting paid to do it. And uh, and I see the other side of wanting to maintain this this pristine structure of the PGA Tour and the legacy that comes along with it and number of tour wins. You know, we just got to get over the fact that 82 and 15 or 46 and six or, you know, it's just not going to happen again. It's just not it's just not likely to be where where the game goes that because of the amount of money that is being thrown around in the game, like. I just and the and the youth and the amount of players that are coming up. It just it's we're, this is the dawn of a new day. Yeah, I just want to say I totally agree with you about judging any other person's uh, financial life completely. Uh, but if you just look at the broad picture, let's not even make it personal to Graham McDowell or anybody else. Uh, most of these successful tour players have made ninety nine point nine percent more you know, than the, than the average uh, American worker could, could make, they'll make more in a year yeah, by I get far that. the average American. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. 
and, and really, we've seen it in every sport. We don't care about the sizes of the contracts. And I think, you know, one, I know I've written this and, and everyone I think would probably agree with this. One thing that's really getting lost here is that we pay for all of this. We're, we, the fans, pay for all of this. And I feel like Jay Monahan has done a poor job of starting with the fans' interest in the game. And all the things that we're talking about, and you both made very good points about uh, the the good initiatives that have come out of this. Why isn't there mixed play? Why isn't there team play? You know, why isn't there this and, and that? Um, all those things really should come out of ultimately. Now, what do the players want? How do we make more money for the for the players? But what do fans actually want to see? Because that's really the starting point for. Professional well, even golf. if we make this more about our jobs, which is to to bring fun stuff to fans. Uh, it's people who follow the, the collective closely know we've had some battles with the tour, the PGA tour, as far as being able to do the, th- the kind of content we want. And whereas on live tour, anything goes, I mean, I, I can, I'm out there taping shots and throwing up on Twitter, you know, these 30 second videos, nobody cares. They, they're happy you're doing it. You're promoting their product. You know, that you can do literally anything you want out there as a reporter as far as filming, live tweeting, all these things that are, are forbidden on the PGA Tour and that have led to some of our battles with the PGA Tour. And so our, our colleague Ryan French, Monday Q Info, is going to caddy um, next week at the Reno Tahoe Open. And I, I was having a dialogue with the PGA Tour about a few different things. And I mentioned, hey, this is coming up again. and We've had some issues. They're like, well, send us an email and tell us what you want. And just make all your asks and we'll review it. And so... I sent this long email with a bunch of line items, most of them overly ambitious. They said yes to every, everything but one. And like that is an example of what the live competition is probably doing at PG Tour headquarters where they're saying, you know what? We have to be a little more open-minded. We have to recognize that we have a competitor who's doing things a very different way. And maybe that's going to shift us in, in a different direction. And, you know, the fans are going to be the winner because now Ryan's going to be out there between the ropes, taking videos, live tweeting, um, in, interviewing Baldwin as they go. There's going to be all kinds of cool content that comes out of the Reno Tahoe Open, which is a, a tournament that no one really pays attention to. It's against the Open Championship at St. Andrews. But for for the hardcore fans who have followed this journey of, of, of Ryan and Mark, they're going to love it, and they're going to get a lot more out of it. And, um, you know, so that that's a, that's a small example of how competition is changing the, the PGA Tour business model. And, um, it's going to be really fun for for the for the fans, which is what none of this exists except for the fans. I mean, professional golf has one purpose only: that is to entertain golf fans. Otherwise, everything goes away. And so, um, you know, I think that we're already seeing some 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 shifting attitudes at, in Ponte Vedra Beach, and for the better. I'll tell you right now. T- to play golf with Dustin Johnson and watch him hit that golf ball and do what he does. If he had someone who helped, helped read those greens, cause they're tricky out there at a dare manner. He could have shot 64 with, with ease. I mean, two under was the highest, you know, the sort of highest he could have shot yesterday. He is, he is such, he's so good at the game of golf. It is uh, uh, unbelievable. You know, and I've played in a lot of primes and I've, I've played with, Brooks and I've played with Phil and I've played, these guys are, these guys are, these guys are fun to watch. And so I, you know, and the 40,000 fans that were out there yesterday had the time of their lives. I mean, the the kids, the Irish kids and the applause, and they were so gracious. The crowd was so gracious. JP didn't allow drinking with the fans on the golf course. It's just not, you know, they wanted to keep the atmosphere respectful and I think that had a huge impact on the general tone of the day. It was very warm, very cordial. There was no comments. I mean, Graham McDowell's from Northern Ireland. This was in Ireland. Uh, he's gone to live there. You know, uh, he he received uh, you know very complimentary applause at every tee, at every green. You know, uh, and, and it, you asked about how Jay Monham was. You know, Graham. This is really. This is definitely affecting Graham. This is, he, you know, I, he, you can tell this is, you know, his, his dream would have been to host and, and captain the Ryder Cup at Adair Manor in Ireland in 2027. And he, ex- he expressed that. And he said that would, have been, that would be an incredible swan song sort of and, and, a, and a feather in my cap of my career. And now I don't, now I don't know 
if that's even possible. I don't know, you know. And you generally, I, you know, generally I felt bad for him. I mean, you know, he, he, he got the money, he got the deal, and I found myself feeling sorry for him. And I don't know, it's just a, it's just a weird, it's a weird, constantly evolving set of emotions. And I think a lot of people have been very reactionary. Most notably, I think the PGA Tour, like it's been very, it just seems all very reactionary and the, and the players reacting to each other and what's being said and text messages and you're not my friend anymore. And I, you don't, I'm not talking to you and F you and this and that. And man, like it's wild. There, there is a long history of money not making people happier. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's well said. <laughs> there you go. Alan, do you have a sense of how many Trump courses will be on the docket uh, next year on the Lib Series? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say more than two. I mean, they've, they've, got, they've got two out of eight. They're going to add six more venues. You know that Trump is dying to get an event at Turnberry. That would just be an ultimate middle finger to the RNA. Um, or, or Aberdeen or, or, or the Ireland course. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Dunebag. I mean, um, but I, I think there, you know, Turnberry has a mystique. We all miss seeing the open at Turnberry. The RNA's made it very clear they're not going to take it there while Trump's still breathing. And so that to me would be a no brainer. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's part of what's wild here is I think we can all agree that gas prices may or may not cost Joe Biden any chance of of repeating as the, the, the president, right? Saudi Arabia can literally decide the next election. If, if they started pumping like crazy and they dropped gas prices by a dollar, $2 in the U.S., like Joe Biden's chances of getting reelected or any, any Democrat goes way up. If they hold a hard line, um, that's going to make it, that's going to affect the presidential race in a profound way. And you know that in a few weeks, a lot of the Saudi Arabian elite is going to be in bed minister at Trump's course where he's the master of ceremonies and how many quiet little conversations are going to take place about Trump's future, about the election, about oil. And like this little rinky dink golf tournament could affect the fate of the free world. And when you think about that, it makes your mind melt, but it's just true. And um, so that that is a backdrop to all this. It's bigger than Graham McDowell's Ryder Cup presidency chances. Like there is, there are forces at work here that are very powerful. They're going to affect all of us directly. And to think that that you know this little this little circuit that Greg Norman has put together could 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 determine the United States presidency. This is not science fiction. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. This is like actual fact, and um, it's wild. But can I? Can someone catch me up on what, what did Tom Friedman say uh, in that podcast on, on Golfer's Journal uh, about politics yeah. and golf? I've bookmarked it. I haven't listened to it. What, what, do you, what do you say, Matt? I, did you hear me? I just started listening. I literally, I was, I'm about 12 minutes into it. Um, and when I had to jump on with you guys and I, I read the summary and, and Tom Friedman, you know, who I've always really <laughs> highly respect and actually got a chance to play Pine Valley with at one point in my life with, with, with Jerry Tardy and fascinating, you know, his ability to simplify really complex situations. I've always marveled at. And, you know, his, his, what I've taken so far is this general sense that politics doesn't have a place in golf, not in our local community. When we show up and we're playing golf and we're having conversations this, you know, the game should be sort of void of politics, that this should be a place where we get together and and sort of uh, get we can have these relationships cultivate this, the camaraderie the game does without having to worry about who you vote for, and why you vote for the politics of, of the implications of, of sort of the politics and and having its place sort of in the general conversation around the game that's I don't know. very idealistic but i mean I, I, it'd be nice i it's mean refreshing, though. it's refreshing and that's you know when he said it, it when i when i first heard it it was like well that's what i love about goat hill park in my community golf course and my and my municipal is that we're all getting together and it's about the round uh, the families the camaraderie the match 
you know, uh, the, the the monthly battle, the score, the, uh, did you shoot your best score? Great shot. There's just, everybody wants everybody to play well. You know, uh, what's the next tournament? I, I, you know, it's really kind of refreshing that at Goat Hill Park, that it's not about politics. I, right. But um, I remember, <laughs> I remember you, you, everyone, I, that's lovely. And I, I know. It and, is lovely. and the whole world agrees that the, and the world would be a better place with more of that. But in years, years ago, I was playing Bel Air and we were traveling around and Eddie Marin said, well, where are you guys going next? And so we're going to the Valley Club. And Eddie Marin said, know me from Adam. Eddie Marin's a longtime pro at Bel Air. And he says, well, I'll tell you something about that Valley Club. What I like about it is they check their politics and their religion at the door. It was just such a stunning thing to, for him to say because he didn't know me and it was so personal. And of course, it's a great way to go around business. And if we gather, you know, with playing with whomever, at any public course and people are civil to each other and play by the rules and enjoy each other's company. That's all great. But the, when the PGA made, when the PGA of America made a decision to move the PGA championship from Trump Bedminster to Tulsa, that was a political decision. Well, yeah. And, and I know Tom, I mean, that's the thing is would agree and understand that. a lot of people say, I don't want politics and sports, but politics and sports have been bedfellows since at least the Berlin Olympics in 1936. I mean, it, this goes way back. Muhammad Ali is so revered because of his political stances and what's the defining image of the Olympics. It's, it's John Carlos and Tommy Smith and the raised gloves. I mean, of any Olympics and, you know, you can go on down the list and, you know, what are the most important golf developments in, in our, since we've been covering the game Obviously, Tiger Woods' victories is probably the top of the list, but Shoal Creek is right up there. The Augusta National Membership controversy is right up there. Now, Live Golf. I mean, it's just you can't hide from reality. You you can't exist in a bubble. It's a it's a wonderful idea, uh, but you know we the go, the golf world is made up of human beings, and we are all defined by these forces and these beliefs that that we we hold and we carry and. Uh, so, uh, I, I like what Tom Friedman is saying, but I, 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 it's, it's, it's a little to me, um, naive. I mean, it's just, uh, especially this moment that we're in right now. And, uh, and yeah, you well, let's listen. We should probably all listen to the, to the podcast before I don't want to paraphrase fair. Tom Friedman. I mean, you know, the hook right out of the gate in the, in the podcast is so, I mean, I want to hear his full sort of articulation of of his kind of perspective before I really get too hard on Tom, you know, or, or make it sound like, you know, he's saying something that's because again, we're all making good points as to how it all trickles in and out and into our world and golf is our world. So it's, it's going to, it's going to be there whether, whether we like it or not, but um, there are a few people on the political landscape more nuanced than Tom Friedman, but I'm pretty sure he did an excellent job for Chi Chi in the 1970 U.S. <laughs> Open, the Hazel Team. That's right. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the Open Week again. I think it's another place, the home of golf, the reverence, the respect, the history, 150 years, you know, and and part of me feels like another aspect of what's what's going to take place with the development of Live and the PJ Tour is is amplifying the meaning of major championships. I think the, the, the fact that the fields do come together and that this is the, the fields that are going to determine a major championship winner in a way makes that more interesting. One million me. percent. Absolutely. And it does become these guys, they, these guys want to win the open because it's St. Andrews and that's the only thing that really matters. But if, if if it's Dustin or it's Brooks or it's one of these guys who plays on the live tour, that's actually really important for that tour right now where there's a lot of talk about it's, it's just it's all these guys past their prime and um, we don't need them and, and they, they can all just go cash their checks and they're, they're not relevant anymore. Like if a live guy does win, there's, there's, it's the most prestigious thing on the planet and open at St. Andrews. That is the top of the pyramid. And, um, even more than the U S open at Pebble beach or any, you know, probably even more than a master's like, because they, they only come around every five or seven years, you win an open at St. Andrews. That, that is the, the crowning moment of any golfer's career. And if it's one of these live guys, it does just add a whole subtext to it. So, um, again, you, you can't escape this stuff no matter what. 
DJ, a U.S. Open at Oakmont, a Masters, and an, and a, and an Open at St. Andrews. That'd be, that'd be e- good. Even contending for an Open at uh, St. Andrews and doing with a certain amount of style as as Arnold did and Watson did uh, uh, elevates you in the game. Yep, I completely agree with that. You know, j- just a quick note about, Matt, what you were saying about the four majors. Um, like, I love tennis. I don't follow it closely. I follow the four majors. I don't even know what they do the other weeks of the year. I don't understand the Davis Cup. I really just don't. And Jim Carter has explained it to me, and I still don't really understand it. That's about me, not you, Jim, if you're listening. Uh, but uh, the other day, I'm watching Wimbledon, and it's two women I haven't heard of, and they're playing in the quarterfinals, and one's a young woman, and one's a uh, married mom, and the married mom's in slice, 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 slice shots, and she wins. And she's German. She speaks perfect English. And she says, it is such a pleasure to play here. And I was like, wow, that's the whole thing. And that's what, that's what we're going to have four times a year from now and forever. And we're especially going to have it next week at the old course. What a pleasure yeah. to be here. And it really doesn't mean if JT Poston wins or if Louie wins or whomever wins, they've won on the old course like you guys were saying just a minute ago. And that's really, to quote the ad, what it's all about. It's not the ad, it's life. That is what it's all about, and that's why we're excited right now. I love it. Well, I should say that we... Matt, where the heck are you? Matt, where the heck are you? Are you still in Ireland? I'm in Dublin. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm here. I left Adair Manor this afternoon, and I'm, I'm going to play a couple more rounds. Old Head, Seapoint, uh, and uh, they're kind of redoing uh, that there, and and car golf's involved in that. So I'm going out there with Marty. Uh, I'm going to go back to Adair, then going to a wedding on Sunday. Then Monday we're doing some shooting for the grind, catching up with which a couple of the prominent Irish players that are uh, they're on the way up and telling their stories. And then Tuesday off to St Andrews. Well, let's. I think we guys. should leave it there because yeah. we're going to tape a. A open preview that will be the three of us plus um, Jeff Ogilvie, who's always such a great voice on these fire drills. And we'll drop that uh, for Monday of open week to to really talk about the course, the history, uh, the, the larger themes that don't involve live golf. And um, so that's something for the listeners to, to look forward to. And, of course, uh, the three of us will be in St. Andrews and we'll be doing all kinds of typing podcasting video storytelling uh tweeting and you name it so it's going to be it's gonna be a fun week we we set the bar really high um at the u.s open at brookline as far as the amount of content but uh, and of course ryan french will be at the reno tahoe he'll be writing every day so it's gonna be another big week for the fire pit and um but i this this was a fun conversation and I, i think this is it's the first of many this is gonna be an ongoing thing that we're gonna to have to check back in as as developments warrant but uh, any, any final thoughts before we go gents well my one quick final thought would be people are asking me how how's the new job going i said really good i said why i said well a big part of it is talking about golf and they're like hey, what a racket <laughs> well and by the way we are a breakaway league the fire pit collective is representative of not necessarily feeling good in kind of mainstream media and feeling like maybe there's a different way of doing things. Maybe we can do it on our own. Maybe we can have more control over who we are and the marketability of our own individual brands. And maybe we can start something and kind of innovate, uh, you know, distribution of, of storytelling through videos and podcasts and socials. And Matt, let me just say this about that. There are parallels, but we are independently owned and operated. Well said. There you go. <laughs> All right, Jen. True story. Uh, this was fun, as it always is. Um, to the listeners, thanks for bearing with us. We will be in your ear a lot in the, the coming week um, from St. Andrews, Scotland, one of the great places on the planet. So uh, this is Alan Shipnuck. That was Michael Bamberger and Matt Janelle. This is another Fire Drill podcast in the books, and we'll do it again soon. Thanks for listening. Another log on the fire Nobody here is getting tired This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, 
fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.